Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Good afternoon, Dee. Afternoon, Carol. I'm very excited. Why are you very excited? Well, because I've got my pansies and violas planted out in containers today. Woohoo! It's a good day because tomorrow is spring, after all. That's right. And you called me yesterday when I was actually at the greenhouse, and you said my my voice was two octaves higher because I was so excited. It was, and you were talking like a New Yorker. You were talking <laughs> so fast, I could barely understand you. Well, they had some of those ruffly pansies called Frizzle Sizzle. Ooh, Frizzle Sizzle. Did you take a picture? I have a picture, and we can show that uh, on on Instagram. But they are so pretty. And I was so excited to get those that I was, you called like right at the moment that I saw them. <laughs> I knew it was something big because you were, you were talking so fast and your voice was so high. I was like, I cannot understand a word she's saying. Anyway, it's a great day. Yes. Spring is tomorrow. I've got my pansies and violas planted. Still need to get out to the vegetable garden, but I might do that right after our call today or tomorrow. I did a little water on my vegetable garden today before before I came in to record because my peas are up. And so I wanted to give them a little sprinkle to kind of encourage them to keep growing. It's warm here today in Oklahoma. Really? How warm? It's 74 degrees. That's very warm. That is very warm for March. But we get days like this. I mean, remember just a week ago, it was super chilly and cloudy. So I got some uh, pansy viola plant and I did yesterday too. Tell me about it. I went up to my church. My little church is um, very small. It has no budget for gardening or landscaping. So basically that means I do it. And uh, I went up there and I planted with my daughter, Claire, God bless her. Uh, we planted a whole bunch of violas. And so we, these are the, I'm going to tell the varieties we planted because these were actually named varieties and they are so pretty. I will take a picture of them and post it on our Instagram and on Facebook and everywhere else. The first one was Halo Sky Blue, which I had never seen before. Etienne, which I have seen before. Halo Sky Blue is a beautiful dark blue with a darker blue. Kind of, no, it's a medium blue. Yeah, it's a medium blue. And then, but it, it, to me, it looks a little darker. And then I also planted Etienne, which I have planted before in my vegetable garden. That's the one that's got yellow in the center and that has the edge of blue on the outside. Planted that in one bed, planted the halo in another bed. And then on this other bed tomorrow, I'm going to go and plant Blue Moon, which is white and blue. So every bed is the same color family, but a little bit different. And then... Um, we have these pots up there that drive me bananas. They're concrete pots, and they're too small, you know, but nobody can afford to replace right. them. So this year, last year I put Mexican feather grass in them, but this year I'm putting in the juniper sea of gold. Have you seen that one that has the gold tips on it? I think so. That sounds really pretty. Well, it can grow without water almost. So even though I have drip irrigation in those, they dry out. So it's impossible to keep them watered enough. So I'm going to give that a try this year. Every year I try something new. And I had a creeping flock. Have you seen any creeping flocks yet up your way? We do not have creeping flocks that I have seen yet. Well, this was a new one I had never seen before. And, of course, that's Phlox subulata. And this one was called Amazing Grace. So I thought it was perfect for a church, right? Very good. What color is it? It's white, and it has a little pink eye. 
just the perfect size for a honeybee to land on. That sounds really pretty. Last week you talked about the uh, pansy called True Blue. Yes. And my little greenhouse, they had flats and flats of it. Uh, It is a beautiful blue with that little yellow eye. But as we know, my pansies must have faces. And all mine do. Well, and mine normally don't. But this year, I bought some that did because today I went into the local box store, which is the only place that has pansies right now except for one nursery in Oklahoma City. And um, I went in there, and they had these really dark purple ones with an even darker eye. And so I actually bought them. I have no idea what their name is. I don't know what variety it is, but it does have a face. Very good. So we're off and running in the gardening season. You know what else is going on in my my garden? No, I don't. Oh, I bet I do know. Tell me, tell me, tell me. The lawn of crocuses is in full bloom right now. I saw that on your Instagram. That's why I knew. It's really pretty. And uh, it's interesting because they're all the uh, crocus tomasiniansis. Tomasiniansia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Tommies. Let's just call them Tommies. So they're all Tommies, and they range from white to deep purple. And they kind of bloom in waves by color. And so the first ones are sort of a light purple, and then there's a pinkish one, and the white, there's a few white ones in there. And then right now there's a really dark purple that's starting to bloom, which is very pretty. And then a white one that's got a purple outside the, on the outside of the petals. So it's in full bloom, and it looks really nice. I bet it does look nice. What kind of grass do you have them planted in? Just regular lawn. In our neck of the woods, we grow bluegrass, uh, red fescue, creeping fescue, and, and some people have tall fescue, but mine's mostly bluegrass and fescue. So that's what I was getting at. In Oklahoma, our sunny lawn is Bermuda grass, which ber- there's nothing that looks worse than bulbs planted in Bermuda grass because, well, it's brown until about late April. So it looks really bad with crocus in it. So, like you, and probably inspired by you, I decided to plant Tommy's in my front yard, which is fescue under the trees. And guess what that caused at my house? Um, an influx of voles, squirrels, and chipmunks eating them all? Yeah, I don't have chipmunks in Oklahoma, thank God. But I do have squirrels and I do have voles, and we have moles too, and what people call gophers. Um, but in my case, the problem was the voles. They, they ate every one of them. I used to have some, and they ate them all. And then they made tunnels all through my yard and caused all kinds of problems. So sadly, I gave up on the crocus lawn. That is sad. Um, I plant by the thousands, so I'm sure that I have some voles and some chipmunks, because we have chipmunks around here, and squirrels that eat a few of them, Mm -hmm. but there's no way they're going to eat all of them. And so every year I just figure I'll add another thousand and just kind of keep ahead of the curve. Yeah, I plant Tommy's in my bed that's by my garage on the backside because they don't eat those. I also got voles in my front flower beds, which is why I, under the trees, which is why I don't plant, um tulips in there anymore because they ate the tulips also. So I'm now planting tulips in two other places instead. I know. It just, you know, here's the thing. Every gardener is, some things work, some things don't work. That's right. Right now is not my season for Tommy's. The other thing that I planted in that lawn, and I just saw the first buds today of Glory of the Snow, which is Kionodoxa. 
Right. I have some in my garage border. They started blooming today and they're beautiful. Yeah. I've just seen the first couple of buds. And so as the crocuses start to fade, then the glory of the snow will start to bloom. And those are mostly blues. There's a few white and pink in there, but mostly blues because the blue ones tend to um, spread and self-sow. And I want that to happen. Right. And mine have spread and they've self-sowed in that garage bed. Do voles eat Kyanodoxa? I don't remember. You know, I don't really know. I'll have to look that up. We'll look that up, folks. We don't remember. And then you know what's going to bloom after the glory of the snow? No, I'm already so envious. I can't stand myself. Okay, tell me. Dandelions. Oh, well, I have those. I have those aplenty. (laughs) Because I tell people the crocus lawn with glory of the snow is beautiful, but you cannot put herbicides down on your lawn if you're going to grow these bulbs or you'll kill them. And so... In a couple of weeks, for a couple of weeks, I'll have a big flush of dandelion blooms in my back lawn. And um, I found that if I just keep mowing them, after about two, maybe three weeks, the dandelions calm down and they stop blooming so wildly. And uh, we're back to normal green for the summer. And then my white clover starts to bloom. Yeah, I have white clover everywhere and love white clover, by the way. And we've talked about this on our blogs before that back in the day, before chemical companies decided we should have a monoculture in our lawns, everybody had clover. Those were part of the seed mixes for lawns. So I have a lot of clover. I have some violets. I have plenty of dandelions. And here's the thing. I don't care. I like dandelions. You want to know why I like them? For your bees. For my honeybees, because dandelions are a huge source of not only nectar, but also pollen. And did you know that the dandelion pollen is white? I did not know that. Isn't that cool? That yellow flower has a white pollen. Has a white pollen. And I've already seen my bees coming in with it on them. So that's exciting. That is exciting. And I I have woodland violets in my lawn too. But it's all good. And um, I don't mind. The rabbits eat some of it, which is fine. I find if they're eating the white clover and the violets and things like that in the lawn, that means they're probably leaving the vegetable garden alone. Yeah, that's a good theory. I like it. The truth is, is they need something to eat and they're going to eat something. So you might as well let them eat what's naturally comes to them, you know? Right. So we've talked a lot about flowers today. Pansies, violas, tommies, cyanodoxa, creeping phlox, dandelions, violets. What flower were we going to talk about today, Dee? We were going to talk about snapdragons. <laughs> Do you still want to? Let's save snapdragons for next week and start talking about it. We've covered enough flowers for everybody, don't you think? I think so. I think we should move on to vegetables before our veggie listeners don't like us anymore. Right. So the next thing to plant in the vegetable garden right after I sow my peas is going to be my first root crops. And for me, that means radishes. I love radishes. I love fresh homegrown radishes. So crisp and cool. I do too. I know. And not that peppery. I mean, people think that they're super spicy, but that's because they get them from the store. And the ones from the store are kind of old, so they get peppery. And I also get peppery here when the weather gets hot. But in the early spring to mid-spring, oh my gosh, radishes are amazing. And one of my children loves radishes because she helped me plant them as a child. And that'd be Claire. That's nice. So I, I will sow radishes. Um, probably in a couple of days when the moon 
is waning. That's when you plant your root crops. You better explain that. (laughs) Some people plant by the phases of the moon, and I don't necessarily plant by the phases of the moon, but this year it looks like I'm going to be able to, if I sneak my peas in tomorrow when we have the full moon, then that's when you plant above ground crops. When the moon is between a new moon and a full moon, it's waxing. And then when it's waning, which means we're going from the full moon back to a new moon, it's waning, and then you plant your root crops, and it's supposed to pull the energy down. And so some people really believe in that. And so if you do, then after tomorrow, plant your root crops because the moon is waning, and it'll pull the energy down. Plant all your above-ground crops before the end of the day tomorrow, the moon is waxing and pulling the energy up in the plant. Okay. I, I'll i be honest, I don't really plant by the phases of the moon, although there is some thought that it has something to do with the fact that, like the same thing that does tides, you know, that the moon helps control the tides on, on the earth. So there's some thought that Scientifically, there may be some basis for this, but I don't want any of the professors to come after me and say it, it is a scientific thing because it's an, I don't know that it is. I, I just know a lot of people in Oklahoma still use that idea, and I, here's the thing. It can't hurt anything. You know, I just plant when I have time to plant. Generally, I plant when I have time to plant too, but I just realized today that I'm going to be able to plant according to the phases of the moon, so that's nice. Yeah, it is nice. What variety of radish do you really like? Um, I really like that variety. It's not really a variety. It's a mix of radishes called Easter egg that has the purples, the pinks, and the whites. I think they're just pretty. Yes. And I also really, really like watermelon radishes. I think they're beautiful. They are. I haven't had as much luck with watermelon radish, but um, I always plant cherry bell, even though it's an old variety Mm -hmm. and is probably the variety I'm buying at the grocery store. And easy then I, to grow. Easy to grow. Literally in 30 days or less, you'll have radishes to pull. Yeah, which is why people tell um, people that garden with children to grow radishes with their children. Yes. And then the other variety I really like is one called French Breakfast, which is kind of a longer variety. And it's red and it has a white tip to it. And I think it's really good as well. I think they're I think they're delicious also. Um but they're I don't know that the French eat them for breakfast, so I don't really know where that name came from, but I've grown all of those. Have you ever grown the black ones? The ones that are black on the outside with the white flesh? I tried to grow those and um I don't know if I got some old seed or whatever, but they just did not come up well for me, so I gave up on those. I didn't have much luck with them either. I have better luck with Easter egg or cherry bell. And the truth is the watermelon radish, while it comes up and does okay, it is not as reliable as good old cherry bell, in my opinion. Right. One other thing, I plant the first crop of radishes. Like I say, I'll plant those this week. And then the other thing that I sometimes do, and I don't know if it makes a difference, and this is like a whole nother episode, um, companion planting. So they say if you plant radishes around squash... It will detour squash vine borers and squash bugs that they will stay yeah. away. So Dee's like, yeah, whatever, Carol. 
I mean, well, no, I'm just, I mean, I, I don't know that anything deters squash bugs or squash vine borers in the state of Oklahoma. They're probably the nemesis of all vegetable gardeners here. Probably. And I, but it's sort of, you know, we talked last week that I'm, I'm more of a ritual kind of planter. And so it's sort of part of my ritual when I plant my squash seeds, which I won't plant until after the first, the last frost. I'll put a little ring of radish seeds because you always get way more radish seeds than you're ever going to plant in a packet. I'll plant a ring of those around the squash and then, you know, I'll pull some of them up later. Yeah, you can see what happens. I've done some other things too. I've planted some flowers that are supposed to repel various creatures. I mean, you know, I haven't had much luck with that, but I admire people who do it. And then the other thing I've done and I will admit this readily, is I've let radishes grow to seed. And I haven't collected the seed, but the flower of the radish is actually kind of pretty. I was going to say they're sort of pale, and sometimes they're pink, sometimes they're white. I guess it depends on the variety. But they're pretty. They're pretty, and they attract pollinators really, really well. So if you want good pollinators to pollinate your squash, um, you might leave them and go to seed. I do that with lettuce and some other things, too. It doesn't hurt anything if you've got room in your garden. No. And you know what? Everything can use more flowers because it helps draw in those pollinators like we talked about before. Guess what I'll be planting in my garden tomorrow? Alyssum? No, I will not be planting alyssum. Alyssum doesn't really like Oklahoma. It's too hot here. Well, I just said that because I planted a flat of alyssum in amongst my pansies and violas. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, I don't know if it's, I think it was last year and the year before, I planted alyssum like at the end of the garden beds, and it tends to kind of bloom all summer long here, <laughs> and so it's constantly attracting little pollinators, plus it smells really good. So I got to go back to the greenhouse tomorrow, and I think I need about three flats of alyssum to plant at the end of the vegetable garden beds. You ended up back in flowers again, Carol. I'm sorry. What were you going to plant, Dee? <laughs> I'm going to plant potatoes. In Oklahoma, I always plant potatoes um, around St. Patrick's Day. It helps me remember to plant them because, you know, St. Patrick, potatoes, Irish. There you go. I'll be planting my potatoes tomorrow. And I do want to say something really quickly about planting potatoes. You do not have to dig up the North 40 to plant them. You can plant them in those uh, smart, is it smart bags? Am I saying the right one? Smart yeah, pots. I think so. Smart pots. I thought that didn't sound right. You can plant them in smart pots or grow bags or any type of container as long as it's a nice big container, and they'll do really well for you. And then it's really easy just to pull those vines up and get all the potatoes. And usually I just do them as new potatoes because those are my favorite kind of potatoes. I do the same thing, but I'm going to wait another couple of weeks before I plant my potatoes. Do you chit your potatoes before you plant them? I used to when I planted bigger potatoes, you know, I chitted them, but now I plant the really small ones. And when I plant the small ones, I just stick them in the ground. But yes, I have chitted them. Chitting for people is uh, you kind of take the big potato and you put it out on the, in a sort of a cool place and let a few eyes develop. And then once you have the eyes develop, that's called chitting. And then you can plant them with a couple of eyes or cut them into pieces if you want. As long as you have an eye. Yeah, you've got to have an eye or two because otherwise they won't grow. They'll just rot in the soil. Plus, if you're going to cut them, it's best to let them dry out just a little bit after cutting because yes. those surfaces attract moisture, which, again, makes potatoes rot, which we don't want them to rot. Um, also, you probably shouldn't grow the potatoes that are in your um, in your pantry because 
they often have been sprayed with all kinds of things, including stuff to inhibit growth. If you, you know, if you eat organic potatoes, you're not really supposed to plant those in the soil. But here's the thing I have before. They're organic. I figure it didn't hurt a thing. And you know what? I got potatoes from them. Just saying. That's true. And um, it's a story for another day, but I, in back in college, I visited a potato farm. And so I know how they dig them and harvest them and what they do before they dig them and the chemicals that they use. And so I am an organic potato eater whenever possible. Yeah. Yeah. I try to eat organic potatoes and definitely organic apples. Those two crops... I do not eat the ones because they both get sprayed into oblivion. So that's our tip for today. Eat organic apples and organic potatoes. It's very important. So there's more root crops than radishes, D. What else are you growing? Yes, in? there are. What else are you growing for roots? Well, I love to grow turnips. I love purple top, that particular variety of turnip. I got it at Hornseed a thousand years ago, and it is still my very favorite turnip, although I've grown all kinds. Um, They're easy, 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 a lot easier than beets, although I usually grow beets too. I just don't always have luck with those. And uh, those are my two big ones that I can think of off the top of my head. What about you? Well, I... I, I don't usually grow turnips. I'm not a big turnip gal. Maybe I'll try some purple top, see how it does in Indiana. I'm sure it does fine. I have grown beets. The thing I, I discovered about beets is, um, and why I probably wasn't having very good luck with beets, is when you look at that seed of a beet, it looks like a, a grape nuts. Like it's a... Yeah. It looks like grape nuts, and you think that is a weird seed. Well, actually, it's three or four seeds all stuck together, and that's the way beet seeds mm-hmm. come. And so when you plant that three or four seeds all stuck together, you get three or four plants trying to get the same space. So you really have to thin it out until you have one plant. And if you don't thin it, then they're all vying for that space to grow their root, and they won't grow a good root. So that's the tip for beets is make sure you thin them out so you got one beet in that spot right that's a good that's a good tip and they need to be a good distance apart too because the beet has to have time to mature and one of the things you can do after you've thinned for that particular hole where the three seeds in one are you can eat the greens of the other thinnings you make you can because beet greens are good and they're really good for you so that's another thing but you got to thin them soon enough really look at those packets because they give you good advice and with beets, it's pretty good. It's pretty important on the timing. You can get away with turnips not being quite so vigilant um, in your timing on spacing them, but they also need space to grow the root. I will say this about turnips. I hated them growing up. My mom used to cook them with salt pork, and they were disgusting. And after I grew up, I decided to grow turnips because somebody said you should because they're sweet. And I thought, no, they taste like dusty old shoe leather. Well, they were right. If you grow your own turnips and all you've got to do to them is grow them uh, steam them or just put them in a little bit of water and cook them and then put butter on them and salt and pepper and they're delicious like one of the best vegetables i eat yes and i i've gone to a scottish restaurant here in town where they they serve neeps as they call them and it's mashed turnips and they're very delicious they're delicious they're absolutely delicious. So I, I, I would challenge people, grow turnips. They're easy. They're easier than beets. They're easier than rutabagas. They are easier than carrots and easier than parsnips. 
I think I've grown them all. And parsnips take forever, but they do grow. And carrots take a long time, too. They do. And the, the tip for any root vegetable that you're going to grow is remember, you're trying to grow a nice root in the ground. So you need a nice, loose, friable soil. And by friable, um, I mean not heavy clay. That root has to be able to grow down. And if you if you have really hard clay or obstacles in the way, then you get a misshapen root and nobody wants to eat it. So a nice, right. friable soil for your root crops. And if you're going to grow carrots, they get affected by carrot fly. So you want to be really careful when you're doing the thinning of carrots. In fact, sometimes I just cut them off below soil level, the little tops when I'm thinning, because then that way I don't disturb the soil and the carrot fly doesn't come and tunnel into my carrots. And you'll know if you have carrot fly because you'll have little maggots in your carrots. It's disgusting. Well, we just make vegetable gardening sound like the most appetizing thing in the world, Dee. <laughs> well, I did give people a recipe for turnips. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have talked about carrot fly. That's okay. We'll talk about carrots later. Uh, it's too early to plant carrots anyway. It's not too early here. It's too you early can plant here. Them here. It's too early here. <laughs> we still might have snow. I know you guys still have snow. We do not and probably won't at this point at all. And we'll probably only have a few more freezing nights. So in my part of Oklahoma, April 20th is about the last freeze date. And I'm all the way to May 10th, if not later. So that's almost a month. We grow in such different climates. I think that that's one of the things that makes this successful is it's very, very different. So like my peas are up and you're just planting yours. That's right. Although my sister, she sent me a, a text on Sunday, St. Patrick's Day, which is the day that we traditionally plant peas, and she got her peas planted, and so she sent me a little flaunting, taunting text to show me that she was ahead of me. I think it's great that your sister also plants. That's really fun. I wish that I wish that my sister had been a gardener, but she was not for sure. Um, I have time. Do we have time for a cute story, a funny story? We do, but I and then I have a funny story of veg, vegetable gardening before we move on to the dirt. Okay, so my quick What's funny, your funny story. Here's my funny story. You don't know this story. So my husband has been watching Gardener's World, the British gardening show, with me for quite a while. And um, uh-huh. he acts like he's not that interested. But suddenly this year, you know, he's semi-retired. And so he comes home a little early every afternoon or three times a week, depending on his week. And he'll come home and he dons his gardening clothes. And suddenly he has decided he is Monty Don. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I don't know how I feel about this. Because even though he built things, he built structures, he was never interested in plants. And now all of a sudden he's interested in plants. And I'm like, he actually, he went and he trimmed up, he pruned one of my rose bushes. You didn't shriek, Carol. How'd he do? Well, I don't, I mean, it's okay, but I about, well, I can't say anything bad. I, I had quite the start when he told me that because this rose bush, which is called Applejack, it's one of Dr. Griffith Buck's roses, it only blooms once a year. And as you know, you don't cut back climbers until after they bloom. But my husband decided to cut it all back day before yesterday and announced it to me at the dinner table. And he said, I was Monty Don today. I cut back your rose bush that's up by the front yard. And I said, well, you've got to be kidding me. And so he promised me that he only cut dead wood out of it. But I've looked at it, Carol. He cut more than dead wood. 
Yeah, I'm sure he did. So here's what he needs to promise you. He needs to promise you that the next time he thinks he's Monty Don and he's got a pair of clippers in his hand and he's heading towards a plant, that he turns around and says, Hey, D, would it be okay if I, and then ask you permission so that you can guide and direct him towards activities that are beneficial for the plants and he doesn't cut off any more blooms. Yeah, a little scary. You know, this is the same person that burned off my, he thought I was burning off a vegetable garden for me when we were married and I was pregnant with Megan. And instead he burned up my three English roses, my three David Austin roses that you could barely get in the United States at the time. So when he gets a clipper in his hands and he gets that gleam in his eye and starts clacking them and saying, I'm Monty Don, I get a little scared, Carol. I get a little scared. I. I would get a little scared. So you want to hear my funny story <laughs> about vegetable gardening? I do. My sister calls me the other day, and she says, I want to grow every single vegetable you can grow in Indiana this year. What? And I'm like, what? <laughs> exactly. Do you know how many vegetables you can grow in Indiana? Well, a bunch of them. And then I, <laughs> and I said, I thought your husband was in charge of the vegetable garden. She says, normally, but I'm going to take it over this year. And I thought, I wonder if he knows that. Oh, my gosh. It's boundaries, like at my house. We did not talk about this before the episode, and we're both talking about boundaries. In long marriages, where there were established boundaries in the garden, and now all of a sudden those are being leaped over by people. Well, so then I get an email from her or a text the other day, and she says, can you go out to dinner Wednesday night with her and her husband because she wants to talk through the garden plan? And I I guess by this, she means the vegetable garden plan. I'm not sure. But this, this, this... This should be interesting. I'm finding this kind of alarming. I've got to tell you. You know, it... It is kind of alarming when somebody who's never gardened suddenly takes an interest in it. Now, she gardens a lot. She likes to get out and work in the garden, but she left the vegetable garden to her husband. So we shall see. That was his realm. Just like I'm queen of my castle and the king is not supposed to be in my gardens doing anything like cutting things. Yesterday he told me that I showed him that I had planted some pansies in the front yard, that antique shades, the real pretty pink ones. And I said, doesn't uh-huh. that look pretty? Because I also have some pink hellebores in there and, you know, some kind of doxa. I mean, it looks really good right now. And so I said, doesn't that look pretty? And he goes, yeah, it's going to look great until the first freeze. And I was like, uh, these plants can handle a freeze. That's why I planted them. And he goes, are you sure? He's asked me if I was sure, Carol. <laughs> this, and did you, did you turn around and say, this ain't my first rodeo? <laughs> Pretty much. I just looked at him like he grew a new head. And I was like, I talk on gardening. This is my job. <laughs> So it is nice when people take an interest in maybe different aspects of gardening than they had before, but probably a little bit of scary, scary for those people around them. I'll I'll report back what my sister really wants to do. Yeah. Okay. Let me know. I can't wait to hear this. Okay. What's our dirt for today? So our dirt today comes from uh, the Garden Professors, which is a Facebook page. And Linda Chalker-Scott, who is a professor out at the University of Washington, published a paper 
about walnut trees and do they or do they not affect tomatoes? In other words, do they have allelepathy? Because we had a whole conversation about that in another episode about sunflowers and right. allelepathy. So all we've always heard all our lives that walnuts will kill anything that is planted beneath them, right? Exactly. And so what she pointed out and kind of the you do a study of all the research, you find out that nobody's really studied it the way they should have. Nope. And there were a couple extension bulletins that came out, and I forget the year on the one, but like the late 90s? I want to say it was 19, I think it was 1993 on the one, and then the other bulletin never even came out. I mean, there wasn't a bulletin. It's just it may have been um, quoted incorrectly, and then just people kept quoting it over and over again. So the one, I'm looking at it right now, and the one bulletin which came through Ohio State University was from 1993, which is 25 years out of date. And then the other one, which she says is even more concerning, is the Christ and Scherf 1973 publication does not actually exist. So they think at, and I can't, this is at Cornell's horticulture extension. And so they think that maybe it was cited wrong at the very beginning and then people just kept citing it over and over and over again. You know how sometimes newscasters repeat the same news story over and over again and then we all find out later, oh, well that, you know, that wasn't exactly accurate. Well, that's the same thing here. So the newest thing is that, Perhaps they aren't as big a problem as we thought. It's not allelepathy. Right. And the walnut tree is is not the big bad wolf of the vegetable garden. As it turns out, if you try to plant a vegetable garden around any big trees that have a lot of roots or the shade or a tree that's blocking out the sun, the vegetable garden is going to struggle fact that they planted around walnut trees doesn't mean that the walnut tree is any worse than any other tree that you might have planted around. Because tomatoes and other summer-loving vegetables have to have six to eight hours of sun every day. So if you plant them under a leafed-out tree, obviously they're not going to do well. So very interesting, because I had been taught that my whole life, that it was some kind of poison, you know, called juglone. And the other thing is, is that you should, if you're going to plant it, just like when we talked about sunflowers the other day, if you're going to plant around a plant that uses up a lot of nutrients and also may have some chemical properties in its roots, you want to use a lot of organic matter because organic matter helps slow everything down and it doesn't disperse as fast. I thought this was a very interesting bulletin. I did too, and we'll put a link to it in our show notes for everybody. And I I guess the lesson learned is kind of have to go back to the source sometimes, and if you can't find the source, then it's okay to question it, Um, especially if there are other things that might be the cause and if it's not really been studied. So somebody just made a giant leap. People just kept repeating over and over this story, and I'll bet you that 99% of all gardeners and extension agents and everybody else just said, yeah, you don't want to plant your tomatoes around your walnut trees. And it turns out you really just don't want to plant tomatoes around trees. They need sunlight. They need lots of moisture. And that's what trees rob them of is sunlight and moisture. Right, exactly. And I could have told you that out here we have a black walnut tree in my neighborhood and grass grows under it just fine. 
I see it all the time when I drive in and out of the neighborhood. So there you go. So that's our dirt for today. What else have we got for the folks today, Dee? I think that's about it. I got to go plant more pansies. I got to get my peas in the ground before the end of the day tomorrow. Well, we better go get with it. All right. So we do like to get emails from our listeners. So we're at thegardenangelist at gmail.com. We're also got, we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. So you can find us in any of those places. Yes. And of course, we like we like it if you give us a uh, review on in, on iTunes where you can find us and tell all your friends to listen to The Garden Angelist every week. And we really appreciate your comments. It makes our day when you come on Facebook and tell us that you've enjoyed our podcast. We enjoy doing it for you, and it's a great opportunity to talk to each other about our gardens, but also to share all of that with you, just like you're chatting over the garden fence with us. That's right. So good luck with your uh, your Monty Don husband there, Dee, and I'll report back on what my sister's up to on the next episode of The Garden Angelist. <laughs> That's right. I'll let you know. That can be our old business. There you go. All right. See you later, Dee. Bye, Carol. Bye. Bye.